begin my sermon this morning with a, a short reading from Pema Chodron. It's from her book, Welcoming the Unwelcome. I want to give a little shout out to Ginny Chudger for introducing me to this particular book. I've read a lot of Pema Chodron, but I had not yet uh, read her new book. Things seem like they're spinning out of control. We can respond to this state of affairs with fear, aggression, and selfishness, or we can respond out of trust in our vast, open, basically good mind, which is timelessly aware, yet empty of imputed meanings. How we respond will determine the way the world will go. As citizens of our world, we can help things go in the direction of wisdom, caring, and compassion. The words of Pema Chodron. Joan Didion, the writer, gives an account of how life changes quickly and dramatically. Her 39-year-old daughter was in the hospital in a coma. Didion and her husband had just returned home from being with their daughter. They sat down at the table for a late dinner. Didion was making a salad, finishing up the salad, and her husband was having a scotch. They were engaged in conversation, and then her husband wasn't talking anymore. He died right there at the table. In her book, Didion writes, life changes fast. Life changes in an instant. You sit down to dinner and life as you know it ends. This experience of Didion's seemed to come out of nowhere so unexpected. Many of us have experienced similar abrupt moments when things seem to fall apart right in front of us, out of the blue. And actually, Didion's husband had a heart condition, and they both knew that it could prove fatal. But even so, it was not the way Didion ever imagined her husband's life would end. Didion imagined that her husband's end would, would come while they were swimming together in a cave that they used to go to. She had this fantasy that while they were swimming in the cave, the water would rise up and they would drown together. And a lot of the time, I think we too move through our lives believing in these fantasies we tell ourselves and believing that we know or that we can predict how things will happen or turn out. Didion says, that was the kind of conclusion I anticipated. I did not anticipate cardiac arrest at the dinner table. And so, when things don't go the way that we imagined they would, we, like Didion, are often disoriented and shocked. 
For Tibetan Buddhist nun Pema Chodron, life fell apart amid a rather, what she describes as a rather mundane moment. She was sitting in front of her house in New Mexico, and then she heard a car door slam. And her husband walked around the corner and he told her that he was having an affair. And he wanted a divorce. She says, wham, life as I knew it had ended. Wham, life falls apart right in front of us, all around us. Life as we know it can come to an end in these dramatic and unexpected ways. The bubble we've been living in bursts. Personal events like Didion's and Chodron's can come like this, seemingly out of the blue, and unmoor our lives. World events, we know, can have the same effect. Just think about September 11th, 2001, how it changed life as we know it in this country, and of course, how it changed the lives of people who lost loved ones. The 2016 and the current election cycle have left many of us feeling unmoored. So too have racist policies and practices in this country. So too have the encroachments on LGBTQ rights. So too has locking asylum-seeking and immigrant babies and women up in cages. So too have been the pervasive attacks on reproductive freedom and justice. And there is more, so much more, the devastations to our environment, which seem to happen daily through the rollbacks of longtime protections. Every day, it can seem to us that in our own lives and in our world, that the bubble keeps on bursting, that another way the world we long to be is not the way we wish it to be. In fact, some days, our own happiness and the world's well-being don't seem salvageable to us. We might even become doubtful and fearful. We might decide that the world is unfixable, that it's too late. And Pema Chodron poses this important question. She asks, how do we not let ourselves spiral downward into a mindset of increasing hopelessness and negativity? Or, if we're already finding ourselves going downhill, how do we pull ourselves back up? In other words, what she's asking is, how can we avoid losing heart? Well, the way we avoid losing heart, one of the ways we avoid losing heart is to grow our resilience. Growing resilience can enable us to have heart and to have hope. 
As Chodron says, as we individuals grow in our resilience, as we become better at staying conscious and not losing heart, we will be able to remain strong in challenging conditions for the long haul. This is within the capacity of all of us, she says. So what is resilience and what isn't it? And let's begin with what it isn't. Resilience, it's so obvious when I say this, so obvious, but something I think that we always need to be reminded of. Resilience doesn't mean that we're going to avoid pain or tragedy or difficult circumstances because that is impossible for any of us in our lives and in our world. So what is resilience? What has to do with having the ability to rebound in the midst of difficult circumstances? Now it's true that some people are really lucky to have learned these skills of being resilient as children, often from wise elders. And it's also true that some people are subjected to more trauma and more tragedy than other people. Yet everyone, as Chodron says, everyone has the capacity to learn resilience and to learn to be strong for the long haul. As Lena Horne says, it's not the load that breaks you down, it's the way you carry it. Wise words. And the great theologian, Howard Thurman, says this. He says, resilience is to watch a gathering darkness until all light is swallowed up completely without the power to interfere or bring a halt. Then in that darkness, to continue one's journey with one's footsteps guided by the illumination of remembered radiance. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful words. Resilience has to do with staying the course in the midst of pain, guided by the illumination of remembered radiance. It has to do with remembering what was good and beautiful and holding that memory in the heart while moving forward into the future. Now this entails being both optimistic and realistic. Just think about it, when people are unrealistic and they think that nothing uncomfortable will ever happen, then they're setting themselves up for that downward spiral. And it's also the case probably know people on both sides of this. It's also the case that when we're so negative that we think that nothing good will ever happen, that we also set ourselves up for a downward spiral. So there's the need for a fundamental hope for goodness and change and also a realistic perspective of what is actually possible and what isn't. I think of our social justice work, 
for example. You know, every month we open our doors here to provide food for individuals and families who are experiencing food insecurity. Our work in this area helps to alleviate hunger for many families and many individuals. It fills short-term gaps in some people's lives. Yet, we know that many people are returning month after month and that their circumstances haven't significantly changed over time. If we expect our food pantry to solve the entirety of the hunger problem, we will be disappointed. If we think the food pantry will mean that people's food insecurity will end, we will be disappointed, perhaps discouraged from the work. And if we think it's not worth doing at all, that we, because we think we, we can't really solve this problem, so why bother? If we take that attitude, if we give up, then we lose our hope and our realistic understanding of how people's lives here and now matter. Roshi Bernie Glassman worked with people who were homeless in Yonkers, New York. And he said, I don't really believe there's going to be an end to homelessness, but I go in every day as if it's possible. As if it's possible. Resilience has to do with going in every day because we know it matters. Because we know it matters matters to the people we are helping in that moment, right? The other thing about resiliency that we sometimes forget and is so worth remembering, especially for those of us here in community who value what it means to be a community, is that we don't need to go it alone. Sometimes my resiliency well is pretty empty. It's a little dry. And when that's the case, community is so important for me. I come into community and I am inspired and uplifted by others. Others can remind me not that their lives are perfect and easy, not that they've never experienced pain, but that they have been resilient in the face of their difficulties. And it matters when things are going well for us that we also show up because there might be someone else whose well is a little dry, someone else who needs the inspiration that we might have to give when they're experiencing that time of tragedy and difficulty. It matters that we come into those communities, into this community, to learn again what it means to be resilient. Now one thing I've discovered is that human beings are pretty resilient. Have you noticed that? Yeah. 
I mean, I know that I've had experiences in my life where I thought, I don't know how I'm going to go on. And I did. And other people do too. Often, I think we are more resilient than we give ourselves credit for. So most of us, I think, have some resiliency practices already. We might not call them that, but we've learned tricks and strategies for our lives. Strategies so that when those hardships and those struggles arise, that we can navigate them, that we can continue our journey toward a better world and a better life for ourselves. So what are some of those practices? What can help us be more like the coffee bean than the carrot or the egg? What can help to make us better able to journey forward with care and compassion and wisdom to release flavor and fragrance rather than become hardened or lose our strength? When I think about these kinds of questions, I realize and reflect on my own practices. And here are a few of my go-to practices. Getting at least eight hours of sleep. 30 minutes of yoga every morning. And I'm proud to say I have only missed one morning in seven months. Healthy meals. Probably haven't done as well on that one. But for me, that means trying to avoid those end-of-evening snacks, which that's just really, really challenging for me. So it's more of an aspiration, perhaps, than a practice. Maybe my aspiration is my practice. And, you know. Daily nasal rinse. Now, I know that does not sound the least bit glamorous, but I have to tell you that this is an important, an enormously important part of my resiliency practices, part of my daily well-being. Another of my go-to practices is having quality time with my partner, Chris. Limited exposure to Facebook. I actually found that I was being triggered by, by my time on Facebook. And so that's why I began to limit my time on Facebook, and it's been very healthy for me. Checking my urge to overwork and overfunction. I'm sure none of you do that. <laughs> and continuing education. You know, I added that one because I really think that that education for myself helps me to be able to rebound in some pretty significant ways. And my continuing education right now is particularly focused on anti-racism work and trans inclusion work that I am doing, not only in this congregation, but with other Unitarian Universalists clergy. So I wonder if you were gonna name a few of your own practices of what's on your list, what would that be? 
What are the one or two or three that are saving you right now? You know, I, I think every day, the world is on fire. What do I need to do when the world is on fire? What do I need to do for myself? And so I ask you that. What are the practices that you are doing for yourself right now? How are you ensuring that your well is filled up? So I invite you to take a minute to just think about that, to name those for yourself. And then think about it. Is there a practice that you're being reminded about that you'd really like to start up again? Now, I'm not talking right now about some big idea of some new thing you're going to rush off today and, and adopt and start. I'm talking about something you already know how to do. Is there something like that that you want to reinstitute in your life, something that would be very healing for you? right now. Something maybe you let slide a little bit. I encourage you to continue this reflection for yourselves in the coming days and weeks and months and years. And to notice which of your practices are helping you, which are helping you to be resilient. In our opening words, Reverend Gretchen Haley says, we need to claim a life of joy and justice for the renewal of our own hearts. And to do so is to practice gratitude for this day, this life that has been given, this chance to begin again. Resilience gives us that chance to begin again every day, every moment. It's a chance to practice gratitude it is the persistence to answer yes to life just as long as we have breath. It is the persistence to keep on loving even when disappointment pierces us through. May we know that we can go on because hope awaits us at every turn. May it be so. Amen. And blessed be. like a copy of the transcript of this sermon, you can find most week's messages at www.uuburks.org sermons. If you have any thoughts or conversation about today's message, we hope you'll take a moment to stop by our Facebook page and share them. And from all of us at First UU Burks, may this chalice light your path and guide your way until you join us again.